When people talk about characters from the wild, wild west, it's not long before the name of Wild Bill Hickok comes up. Some people call him a bad man. Some people call him a hero. All call him a gunslinger. Let's just go back and find out what kind of shenanigans he had to do to get put on THE list of the most notable characters of the Wild West. Welcome. My name is Elizabeth Bougeret, and I'm that person that, when studying the many facets of history, likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate the hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen, then, to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found this week from my bag of bones. James Butler Hickok, as his birth records would show, had humble beginnings. He was brought into the world on May 27, 1837, the fourth of six children. His family had a farm in Homer, Illinois, and it was said that his father, who was killed when James was only 14, was a stop on the Underground Railroad helping escaped slaves find freedom in their northern states. In 1856, he left Illinois at the age of 18. He and his brother Lorenzo headed west towards Kansas to see what they could find. They were initially looking for some farmland to call their own. His brother didn't last long and headed back to Illinois, leaving James to wander about on his own. He moved to Leavenworth, Kansas Territory, and, probably thanks to his family beliefs, joined Jim Lane's Free State Army. He was a Jayhawker. From what I could gather, it looked like Hickok left the Jayhawkers before they started to get extra violent. Their initial creation was to act as a sort of militia to fight on the fringes of the Civil War to keep Kansas and also Missouri a free state. By the 1860s, Lane's group had resorted to looting, murder, and setting towns on fire. But, side note, it was U.S. Senator Jim Lane that recruited the 1st Regiment Kansas Volunteer Infantry. They would be the first African-American troops organized in the northern states and the first to see combat in the Civil War. During his time in Kansas, he met 12-year-old William Cody. Their paths would cross several times in each other's lives. In 1857, he claimed a 160-acre tract in Johnson County, Kansas, and on March 22nd of 1858, he was elected one of the first constables of Monticello Township. One of the biggest stories in his legendary history is this one. It's said he went to work for the Pony Express as a stable boy, or something along those lines, just prior to them going out of business in the Rock Creek, Nebraska station. On July 12, 1861, the property owner, David McCandless, came to the property to demand an overdue land payment from Horace Wellman, who was the station manager and took care of the stagecoaches that passed through. Both the Pony Express and Wellman ran their businesses on the same plot of property. The Pony Express had actually paid a third of an agreed-upon amount to purchase the land from McCandless. But I guess Wellman was kept out of the loop. There are so many different versions to this story, but somehow or another, and I'm not really sure that why McCandless was there, but someone shot David McCandless. The suspects are either Wellman or 
Bill Hickok. It was around this time that James Hickok decided to go by his father's name, William, when he joined the Civil War, and when newspapers and magazines got a hold of this story and added a bit of their own personal flair, Wild Bill Hickok became a legend. In 1883, a published magazine called Our Pioneer Heroes and Their Daring Deeds contained a bio of Hickok and claimed that he had killed six members of the gang with just a gun and having to resort using his knife. They claimed that Hickok was giving the narration when he said, quote, I remember that one of them struck me with his gun and I got a hold of a knife and then I got kind of wild-like and it was all cloudy, and I struck savage blows following the devils from up one side of the room to the other, and into the corners, striking and slashing until I knew everyone was dead. End quote. This retelling of the story has built Hickok's reputation as a gunfighter and a man to be feared. Harper's Monthly put their spin on the event, and by the time it went to print, Hickok single-handedly killed, quote, nine desperados, horse thieves, murderers, and regular cutthroats known as the McCandless Gang, end quote. It reports that he was armed with nothing but a pistol, a rifle, and a bowie knife, and he himself was shot 11 times. He was referred to as Wild Bill from this point on. James McCandless, the deceased brother, filed an arrest warrant charging them with murder. The case was brought to trial, but the judge would not permit 10-year-old Monroe McCandless to testify. Monroe was David McCandless's son, and the only one from the other side that was left alive. The only accounts of the event now being called a massacre were those of the station's employees and Hickok himself. The judge ruled that, quote, Murder was not sustained, end quote. Hickok, Mr. and Mrs. Wellman, and another employee were free to go. Later, an account by Monroe McCandless appeared in the Fairbury Journal of September 25, 1930. He explained that he had gone to the station with his father to collect money, but they had been unarmed. Quote, father had told Mrs. Wellman to tell her husband to come out. The Wellmans were the folks who lived there and kept the station. She said he wouldn't, and Father said that if he wouldn't come out, he would go in and drag him out. I think, rather than being manhandled, he killed Father. End quote. Later, as an adult, Monroe would tell Bill Cody that he was standing beside his father when Hickok shot him dead while behind a curtain. The day after the incident, the Helby brothers, Frank, Thomas and Jasper went to the property to clean up the bodies. Frank Helby reported back that he found the body of the McCandlesses lying on the ground where he was shot out of the cabin's front door. They found another one of the men, James Woods, around the corner of the cabin with several gunshots and his head crushed with a sharp instrument. And the third man, James Gordon, was believed to have been running from the station he was filled with buckshot and no guns near any of them. The DeWitt Times reported that a foreman of the stagecoach company stated, quote, At the time of this affair, I was at the station further west and reached this station just as Wild Bill was getting ready to go to Beatrice for his trial. He wanted me to go with him, and as we started on our way, imagine my surprise and uncomfortable feeling when he announced his intention of stopping at the McCandless's home. I would have rather been somewhere else, but Bill stopped. 
He told Mrs. McCandless he was sorry he had killed her man. Then he took out $35 and gave it to her, saying, This is all I have. Sorry, I do not have more to give you. End quote. In April 1861, Bill became a teamster for the Union Army in Sedalia, and then became a wagon master, then was transferred to the Provost Marshal's Department as a scout, courier, and spy. In the time frame of the 1850s until almost the 1900s, gunfights were talked about perhaps more than they seemed to happen. But in the majority of instances, it was an abrupt decision made by men who probably had too much to drink. They were probably inexperienced, their mouth was probably more experienced than their talent, and many were propelled by that underlying fear. But more times than not, it was anger layered with a good dose of pride that brought on most of the gunfights. Joseph G. Rosa would write in his book, Wild Bill Hickok, Gunfighter, quote, Speed on the draw, a facet of gunfighting that obsesses some modern reenactors, played little part in old-time gunfights, end quote. Hickok later gave an interview to Colonel George Ward Nichols, a journalist for Harper's New Monthly magazine titled Wild Bill Hickok. It claimed Hickok killed hundreds of men and other exaggerated or fabricated adventures. Hickok is quoted as saying, quote, Whenever you get into a row, be sure and not to shoot too quick. Take time. I've known many a feller to slip up for shooting in a hurry. End quote. On July 21, 1865, Wild Bill Hickok had a duel with his friend Davis Tutt. The fight was over a disagreed-upon amount of money, and until the matter was solved, Tut decided he was going to keep Hickok's pocket watch. There were a number of witnesses that came forward to attest to the disagreement prior to the standoff. On the afternoon of the July in question, Hickok was waiting along the edges of the town square. According to the witnesses' statements, Hickok gave Tut a chance to settle, but Tut chose not to. Tut came into the square wearing the pocket watch, and Hickok stepped out into the street to face him. He was about 75 yards away. Both men drew and fired together. Tut's shot missed Hickok and went over his head, but Bill's bullet went straight through Tut's heart. The whole thing went so fast that some thought only one shot was fired. The coroner examined Tut and saw that the bullet went straight through the fifth and seventh rib and out the other side. The bullet was not found. This means that Davis Tut was standing to the side, which just gives testament to Hickok's skill. Rosa would write, quote, It is now clear that neither Hickok nor Tut were anxious to swap lead, and far from exchanging insults, they sought to avoid a shootout for despite their dispute, they were friends, end quote. Hickok was arrested for murder, but the charge was reduced to manslaughter. Bill was released on a $2,000 bail. On August 3, 1865, he stood trial. He was found not guilty on the account that Davis Tutt was considered to be a dangerous man and said that he would fight. Joseph G. Rosa writes, quote, the shootout remains as one of the few stand-up, face-to-face, dual-type gunfights of the gunfighting era. It was a fair fight where both parties retained their honor. End quote. 
Hey everyone, it's Elizabeth Bougere here with Bag of Bones, and I have to tell you I am so excited to have Lumi deodorant as part of the Bag of Bones family. I aggressively campaigned to get Lumi on this podcast and my website, that's how much I love their products. They are all natural, and just because they're all natural doesn't mean they have to smell like dirt or baking powder. In fact, they don't even use baking powder. If you're tired of the store-bought brands that aren't doing their job and are ready to try something completely different in an assortment of scents, please give this a try. They have products for men and women, and they go far beyond just underarm deodorant. You have nothing to lose with their money-back guarantee, and when you use our direct link found in the show notes, you'll get free shipping on any order of $25 or more. Click the link in the show notes. Just give Lumi a try. Your friends and family will thank me later. In September of 1865, Hickok ran for city marshal of Springfield and came in second. He was recommended for deputy federal marshal at Fort Riley, Kansas. Here, he would serve as a scout for George Armstrong Custer on occasion. He would recruit six Native Americans and three cowboys to travel with him to Niagara Falls to put on a show titled The Daring Buffalo Chasers of the Plains. The show was outdoors, so he couldn't charge admission. This became a disaster in so many ways. He also had a buffalo and a bear. At one point in one of the shows, a shot was fired and it spooked the buffalo in just the right way. They broke through their thin wire fencing and took off running, which caused the crowd to take off running. Rumor has it, a few didn't make it. While it did nothing for his acting career, in fact, he had a bad taste in his mouth about it ever since, but being able to watch his shooting skills in action only made the people love him more. In late August of 1869, he was elected city marshal of Hayes, Kansas, and sheriff of Ellis County, Kansas. He stayed busy because in the last 18 months, three other sheriffs would quit. Hickok would later comment that there was, quote, no Sunday west of Junction City, no law west of Hayes City, and no God west of Carson City, end quote. The growing end-of-track railroad town was said to be a row of saloons on one side, the railroad on the other. He held down not just the marshal and sheriff's position, but would also be called to be an army scout, and even took on owning a saloon of his own. Acting as sheriff, Hickok killed two men in September of 1869. Bill Mulvey, who was drunk and shooting his gun recklessly. The Leavenworth commercial printed, quote, Mulvey was determined to quarrel with everyone whom he met, using his revolver freely, but fortunately injuring no one, end quote. He shouted how he came to town he wanted to kill Wild Bill Hickok. As Bill came to defuse the situation, Mulvey leveled his rifle at him. Hickok waved his arms and yelled, quote, Don't shoot him in the back, he's drunk, end quote. When Mulvey turned to defend himself to whomever might be trying to shoot him in the back, Hickok drew his pistol and shot him through the temple. George Custer would later write in 1874 in his autobiography, My Life on the Plains, quote, Where this is common custom, brawls or personal difficulties are seldom, if ever, settled by blows. 
The quarrel is not from a word to a blow, but from a word to a revolver. And he who can draw fire first is the best man. No civil law reaches him, none is applied for. In all my affairs of this kind in which Wild Bill has performed a part and which have come to my knowledge, there is not a single instance in which the verdict of twelve fair-minded men would not be pronounced in his favor. End quote. Sam Strahan was shot and killed on September 27th for being drunk and disorderly in a saloon. I guess he mouthed off one too many times and Hickok shot him in the head. He died instantly. There was a quick inquiry, but the judge found the shooting justifiable. On July 17, 1870, Hickok was attacked in a saloon by two troopers from Custer's 7th Cavalry. One of the men pinned Hickok to the floor while the other pulled out his gun and held it to Hickok's ear and pulled the trigger. Amazingly, the gun misfired and allowed Hickok to reach for his own pistol. He shot the man who attempted to blow his head off twice in the chest, and the other man took a bullet to his kneecap. Hickok jumped out the window and was able to arm himself with a rifle and hopped on a horse. Expecting that there would be retaliation from other soldiers, Bill rode out of town and hid out at a, quote, woodchopper's camp, so he had woods abound and stayed in camp for about a week, end quote. The one man died days later, and the other recovered. But by the time it hit the papers, Hickok was up against 15 soldiers. He was shot seven times, but managed to take out three of them. It got so widespread that Tom Custer put out an order stating he wanted Bill Hickok dead or alive. But there is no fact to this rumor either. The rumor is that the two men who attacked Hickok were deserters from the army, and part of the job as sheriff was to take the deserters into custody. But Tom Custer would have no reason to call for action against Hickok. The two attackers were known to be drunk and technically deserters, so the brawl was considered a civilian matter. Therefore, the military would take no further action. Needless to say, Hickok was not re-elected as sheriff. His trusted friend and deputy, Peter Lanahan, was chosen to take the helm. It wasn't long after Hickok left town that Sheriff Lanahan went to stop a fight in a saloon. It was July of 1871, and as he tried to calm the participants, he was shot twice and died two days later. Bill, by this time, had already been acting as Marshal of Abilene, Kansas, since April 15th of 1871. Author Rosa would describe Abilene as, quote, a cacophony of bawling bovines, locomotive whistles, and the crass of shunting train cars, was accompanied by an all-pervading cloud of dust and the stench of cattle, end quote. And if that wasn't enough, he adds that the images of night evoke, quote, kerosene street lamps flickering in the darkness, garishly lit saloons, gambling halls, and bawdy houses, end quote. From 1867 until April of 1871, Abilene had no established law in the place. Hickok entered the Midwest's own Sodom and Gomorrah head-on. While some thought he spent too much time gambling, and others may have thought him too strict, there were still others who appreciated that he even stepped up to the plate. John Wesley Hardin arrived in Abilene in June of 1871. 
Hardin was known to be a ruthless gunfighter, claiming to have killed at least 27 men by this time. His own accounts of notches in his gun are much higher, of course. He frequented Abilene often, and at first did not appreciate Hickok's presence, but apparently grew to admire the lawman. One evening, Hardin had been drinking and gambling. He and his cousin went upstairs to go to bed. At some point during the night, Hardin was awakened by snoring coming from the room next door. He claims he yelled several times to get the snorer to roll over, but the snoring continued. Hardin shot his gun through the wall. The snoring stopped. I guess that makes 28. Not only was a man dead, but Hardin also violated the city's ordinance prohibiting the firing of a gun within the city limits. He knew he was in trouble, so he and his cousin attempted to escape their second-story window. He was captured by Hickok and four other deputies. Hardin would later write in his autobiography that was published in 1895 after his death, quote, Now I believe that if Wild Bill found me in a defenseless condition, he would take no explanation but would kill me to add to his reputation, end quote. But then he would also include, quote, he has a fine sense of and was a splendid judge of human character, end quote. But he would write to his wife from the Texas prison he was in, quote, no braver man than Hickok ever drew breath, end quote. On October 5th, 1871, Bill was keeping an eye on a fight that had broken out in the street when he saw saloon owner Phil Coe fire his pistol. In that moment, he didn't know that Phil Coe was actually the instigator of the street melee. He didn't appreciate Bill's version of keeping the law, which was, don't break them, and he decided to set up a sting. He got several townsmen drunk and sent them out in the street, hoping that when Hickok would inevitably come to calm down the riot, a gunfight would break out and perhaps a stray bullet might take out the lawman. Bill told him he was going to get arrested for breaking the ordinance, which was no shooting the guns inside city limits. Coe claimed that he was aiming for a stray dog, which does not make it okay, but then, in a rash decision, turned his pistol on Hickok and shot twice. He missed both times. In a blink of an eye, Coe fell to the ground, shot twice in his stomach. Bill then, out of the corner of his eye, caught someone running towards him and quickly turned and fired. Only then would he see that he accidentally shot and killed his deputy marshal and friend, Mike Williams. The Junction City Union would print, quote, As a reply to the marshal's demand that order should be preserved, some of the party fired upon him. When drawing his pistols, he fired with marvelous rapidity and characteristic accuracy, shooting a Texan named Coe, the keeper of the saloon, we believe through the abdomen and grazing one or two more. In the midst of the firing, a policeman rushed in to assist Bill, but unfortunately got in the line of fire. It being dark, Bill did not recognize him and supposed him to be one of the party. He was killed instantly. Bill greatly regrets the shooting of his friend. Coe will die. The verdict of the citizens seemed to be unanimously in support of the marshal, who bravely did his duty. End quote. While Bill Hickok was a master gunslinger because he rarely wore his holsters and opted to tuck his two pistols with the handles pointing outwards, if he had to draw, the guns were going to be fired because he was cocking the lever back as he was pulling them from his gun belt. 
an unnamed admirer would get space in the Chicago Tribune, August 25, 1876, as saying, quote, The secret to Bill's successes was his ability to draw and discharge his pistols with rapidity that was truly wonderful and a peculiarity of his that the two were presented and discharged simultaneously being out and off before the average man had time to even think about it. He never seemed to take any aim yet he never missed. Bill never did anything by halves. When he drew his pistols, it was always to shoot, and it was a theory of his that every man did the same, End quote. Phil Coe was carried to his room, and he died three days later. It was said that when Hickok found out the other man he shot and killed was his friend, he carried him to the nearest saloon and laid him gently on a billiard table. Those who witnessed the event say there were tears on the marshal's face, which was quickly replaced with determination. He went back out into the streets, yelling and demanding that every man disarm and clear the streets. Within an hour, they say, the streets of Abilene were quiet and empty. He would say the death of Mike Williams would haunt him for the rest of his life. The mayor of Abilene, Theophilus Little, would remember that fateful day by recording in his own personal journals. He admired Bill Hickok and wrote his thoughts, quote, Phil Coe was from Texas and ran the Bull's Head Saloon and Gambling Den, sold whiskey and men's souls, as vile a character as I ever met. For some cause, Wild Bill incurred Coe's hatred and he vowed to secure the death of the marshal. Not having the courage to do it himself, he one day filled about 200 cowboys with whiskey intending to get them into trouble with Wild Bill hoping that they would get to shooting and, in the melee, shoot the marshal. But Bill had learned of the scheme and cornered Coe. Coe had his two pistols drawn and aimed. Just as he pulled the trigger, one of the policemen rushed around the corner between Coe and the pistols, and both bullets entered his body, killing him instantly. In an instant, he pulled the triggers again, sending two bullets into Coe's abdomen. Coe lived a day or two. Then, whirling his two guns down on the drunken crowd of cowboys, he shouted, And now, do any of you fellows want the rest of these bullets? Not a word was uttered. End quote. Captain Jack Crawford, a fellow scout, would say of Wild Bill, quote, Wild Bill has his faults, grievous ones, perhaps, but even when full of the vile libel of the name Whiskey, which was dealt over the bars at exorbitant prices, he was gentle as a child unless accused to anger by intended insults. He was loyal in friendship, generous to a fault, and invariably espoused the cause of the weaker against the stronger one in a quarrel. End quote. Hello listeners, Elizabeth Bougeret here from Bag of Bones Podcast. Since Damsel in Defense has become part of the Bag of Bones team, I'm pretty sure I've become their biggest fan and customer. These tools they offer are so valuable for the world we live in today, and I just don't want anyone that's important to me to be without. So around here, it's like, you get a taser, you get a striker, you get some mace. <laughs> I am giving the gift of safety for every gift this year. If you have a female in your life or you yourself need to beef up your personal security, check out our exclusive link and see what Damsel in Defense has to offer. Just a hint, check out the specials they have this month and you'll sleep better knowing your loved ones are just a little bit safer because you opted for a personal safety device instead of shoes. 
You can start shopping now by heading to the Bag of Bones exclusive page at www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones. That's www.mydamselpro.net forward slash bones. Agnes Messman was living in Cincinnati running a tobacco and whiskey business with her father and brothers when she fell for circus clown Bill Lake, and they eloped in 1842. He convinced the circus to hire his new bride, and she would hone her horse-riding skills into a more circus-like entertainment, then discovered she had the skills and talent to become a slack-wire walker. By 1859, Posters in newspapers would claim Agnes Lake to be the queen of the high wire. By the time Agnes and her husband Bill reached Abilene, Kansas, they had been running their own circus for about six years with much success. Usually staying along the east side of the states, and even touring Europe, this was as far west as the Lake Circus would go. During one of their evening performances, a man named Jake Killian attempted to sneak in without paying. When Bill Lake confronted him and escorted him from the tent, Killian pulled his gun and shot Lake in the head. He died instantly. And in case you're wondering, this is where our stories cross. As we know, the Marshal of Abilene in the 1860s was none other than our wild Bill Hickok. While there was no time for wooing in Abilene, Hickok was nevertheless smitten with Agnes Lake. Her stay in the town was extended only long enough to bury her husband, take care of some legal and financial affairs, and begin their new life as a businesswoman and owner of Lake Circus. Hickok would begin a correspondence with Agnes, who was a little more than a decade older than the Marshal. In 1873, Buffalo Bill Cody and Texas Jack invited Wild Bill to join their acting company. He discovered, or rather remembered, that he was not a fan of the stage, and took his leave after only a few months. Rumors spread, as rumors often do, that a falling out and Cody and Hickok had become quote-unquote bitter enemies. In the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle on September 18, 1876, it would report from Cody, quote, That's a bad error. Bill and I were friends always. Bill and I were the best of friends. I met up with him on his way to the Black Hills. We were nooning on Sage Creek, and we talked for hours telling of old times, end quote. But while in Rochester, New York in 1874 with the Wild West show, he and Agnes would have an opportunity to spend some time together. He confessed that he was in love with her and supposedly asked for her hand in marriage. At the time, Agnes had the care of her only child, Emma, and told Hickok that she didn't feel it was right to commit to him until Emma was settled into a profession or married. But their letters continued. Emma was married in 1875. In Cheyenne, Wyoming, Wild Bill was finalizing his arrangements to travel to the Black Hills of Dakota, leading a wagon party with his longtime friend Charlie Utter and brothers Joseph and Charles Anderson. Agnes happened to be in town visiting relatives. The local paper, the Tribune, wrote, quote, Wild Bill renewed his suit and pressed his claims with such persistency that the engagement was perfected and arrangements concluded for the wedding, which it was agreed would take place on the following day, end quote. 
On March 5, 1876, while Bill Hickok and Agnes Lake were married. Bill was 39, and this was his first marriage. The Cheyenne Daily Sun wrote in their first column on the front page, quote, March 8, 1876, noted Wild Bill of Western fame has conquered numerous Indians, outlaws, bears, and buffaloes, but a charming widow has stolen the magic wand. The scepter has departed, and he is as meek and gentle as a lamb. In other words, he has shuffled off the coil of bachelorhood, end quote. The couple honeymooned in Cincinnati for two weeks. Agnes stayed behind in Ohio to look after her daughter and her first grandchild, while Hickok returned by train to South Dakota and to his business plans for the wagon train. Little did she know when she said goodbye to her husband as he left on that train, that would be the last time she would ever see him again. He would write to his wife ominously, quote, Agnes, darling, if such should be, we never meet again. While firing my last shot, I will gently breathe the name of my wife, Agnes, and with wishes even for my enemies, I will make the plunge and try to swim to the other shore, end quote. According to authors Linda A. Fisher and Carrie Bowers in their book Agnes Lake Hickok, Queen of the Circus, Wife of a Legend, quote, her circus career spanned more than four decades. She was the sole manager of the Hippo Olympiad and Mammoth Circus. After Hickok's death, Agnes traveled with P.T. Barnum and Buffalo Bill Cody and managed her daughter Emma Lake's successful equestrian career, end quote. On August 1st, 1876. Jack McCall was drunk at the bar at the Nuttall and Mann's Saloon in Deadwood. He watched over the poker tables waiting for a seat to open up. When one of the players dropped out of the table where Wild Bill sat, he moved in. McCall lost game after game and soon gambled away all of his money. Testimony would say that he was short $16.50. Hickok agreed to wait for the payment and then gave him money so he could buy some breakfast, and offered him some advice. Something along the lines of he shouldn't continue to gamble until he could cover his losses. McCall took the money that was offered him, but he let others know that he was insulted at the haughty nature of Hickok. On August 2nd, at the Number 10 Saloon on Main Street, the poker games continued. After so many years and so many times Bill has had a price on his head, he just developed the habit to usually sit with his back in the corner. On this day, he accepted a seat that placed his back to the rear door. After hours of leisurely drinking and gambling, Hickok settled into a relaxed state, enjoying time with his friends. The Black Hills Daily Times would tell it like this, quote, When the man came in, Bill had just picked up his hand and was looking at it and paid no attention to the newcomer. The man, who proved to be Jack McCall, after approaching the bar, turned and, drawing a navy revolver, placed the muzzle within two inches of Bill's head and fired. The ball entered the base of the brain, passed through the head and upper and lower jawbones, breaking off several teeth and carrying away a large piece of the cerebellum through the wound. The ball struck Captain Massey, who sat opposite Bill in the right arm, and broke the bone. End quote. Wild Bill Hickok was dead. Side note, Captain William R. Macy would claim for the rest of his days that the bullet was still lodged in his arm and would invite folks to shake the hand that held the ball that killed Wild Bill Hickok.
Charlie Utter claimed the body and placed a notice in town offering funeral services at his own camp for those who would like to attend. Almost the entire town attended. His friend had Hickok buried in the local cemetery with a wooden grave marker reading, Wild Bill J.B. Hickok, killed by the assassin Jack McCall in Deadwood Black Hills, August 2, 1876. We will meet again in the happy hunting ground to part no more. Goodbye. Colorado Charlie C.H. Utter A thrown-together court was called to order to decide what to do with the murderer. At the time, Deadwood had nothing that resembled a court of law, so a prosecution, defense, and even a jury was scraped together of local businessmen and miners. The group and the accused gathered at McDaniel's Theater. McCall claimed that he shot Hickok out of revenge for him killing McCall's brother years ago in Abilene. On the stand with his hand to his heart, he would say, quote, Men, I have but a few words to say. Wild Bill killed my brother and I killed him. Wild Bill threatened to kill me if I ever crossed his patch. I am not sorry for what I have done. I would do the same thing over again. End quote. After two hours, McCall was found not guilty. He was set free. The Times would print, quote, The prisoner McCall was at once liberated, and several of the model jurymen who had played their part in the burlesque upon justice and how had turned their bloodthirsty tiger loose upon the community, indulged in a sickening cheer which grated harshly upon the ears of those who heard it, End quote. McCall didn't wait around for them to change their mind, so he hightailed it to Wyoming Territory, where I guess he felt safe enough to brag to anyone who would listen that he slain Wild Bill Hickok. And to add insult to injury, he claimed that he faced off with the famous gunslinger in a fair gunfight on the streets of Deadwood. It was a known fact that many a man were after the head of Wild Bill Hickok, and for more than the bragging rights. It turned out he was an upright man who valued the title of integrity. The Black Hills Pioneer would print on August 10, 1876, quote, Wild Bill was probably the only man we have yet had in our midst who had the courage and other qualifications to bring some semblance of order to the lawless element of our camp. The fact that he was killed by one of the sorriest specimens of humanity to be found in the hills is significant, end quote. It is believed that Bill would not play part in fleecing the miners with crooked gambling schemes. The Pioneer Press of September 8, 1876 would print, quote, There were a dozen or more men in Deadwood who wanted to kill Wild Bill because he would not stand in with them on any deadbeat games, but not one man among them dared to pick a quarrel with him. They were all waiting to get a chance to shoot him in the back, end quote. Wyoming authorities refused to acknowledge McCall's acquittal on the grounds that the so-called court in Deadwood had no legal jurisdiction. Deadwood wasn't under any kind of legal court system. They decided that McCall could be tried for murder again in the federal courts in Yankton, Dakota Territory. McCall was tried again for the murder and was found guilty. When asked if he had anything to say, the Herald reported he said, quote, he stated he was drunk at the time of the murder and had no clear conscience of the lamentable occurrence. He had been drinking all that day and went into the saloon where Wild Bill and others were playing cards. 
He remembered only going into the saloon and standing at the bar drinking when his mind went into a daze. He knew nothing further until he was awakened after the time and told that he had gotten himself into a bad scrape. End quote. He would go on to say, quote, He had never known Wild Bill and had seen him only twice before. He wanted a new trial and thought that in justice he ought to have it. He said his name was not Jack McCall, but he assumed that name after leaving his old home while yet a boy, so his parents might not know of his actions or whereabouts. These were all the remarks he had to make. End quote. Jack McCall was hanged on March 1, 1877, at 24 years old. The newspapers would report, quote, He gazed out over the throng without exhibiting the least faltering, or even a quiver of the lips. The trap was sprung at 10.10, and he was dead ten minutes later. An unrepentant murderer of a man who had done him no wrong. Quote. Side note, it was also later discovered that McCall had several sisters, but not a single brother. The death of legendary Wild Bill Hickok was met with disbelief and sorrow. The Hayes City, Ellis County Star would write, quote, is this the long-looked-for ending of the career of one who deserved a better fate? Well, he killed several men, but all their acquaintances agreed that he was justified in doing so. He never provoked a quarrel and was a generous and gentlemanly fellow. Had the fellow that shot him given him a fair fight and not taken the cowardly advantage that he did, Wild Bill would not have been killed. End quote. On September 8, 1877, his wife of only five months visited the grave and announced that it was to remain undisturbed, and thanks to Buffalo Bill Cody, a commissioned monument would be erected. That was created by sculptor J. H. Reardon and was erected in 1891. In 1879, the cemetery where Hickok was buried became overcrowded. Charlie Utter paid to have Hickok's remains moved to the new Mount Moriah Cemetery. Charlie Utter allowed himself one last look at the body. He opened the lid, and Hickok's body was discovered to have had a calcium carbonate buildup from the soil that caused Hickok's body to petrify. The Times would report on March 4, 1880, quote, There was scarcely perceptible change in the body, excepting a darker color on the face. There was the shattered wound in the right cheek made by the cruel bullet which took his life but the countenance bore a tranquil look. The extraordinary weight of the body caused them to examine it more closely when they discovered that petrification had commenced. The hair still borne its silken luster, but the flesh was so changed that it became hard as wood. The weight of the body at internment was 160 pounds, but at the exhumation was double that weight." End quote. The original wooden sign was replaced when too many visitors shredded it and took it as souvenirs. By 1891, it was replaced with the Reardon statue. This, too, was chipped away also. In 1902, a life-sized sandstone statue was put over the grave and enclosed with wire fencing to protect it. Nope, the head was eventually removed and it had been shot at. In 2001, sculptor David R. Young created a new bronze statue that was a replica of the original statue. Buffalo Bill Cody would recall of his friend, quote, Bill Hickok was not a bad man, 
as he is so often pictured, he was a bad man to tackle, always kind of cheerful almost about it. And he never killed a man unless that man was trying to kill him. That's fair. End quote. The editor of the Times would write on March 4th about his grave, but adds, quote, There sleeps a hero pioneer, a man whose heart was as gentle as a child's and as brave as God would make it. If he had faults, they were tempered with so much compassion and affection that we lose sight of them entirely. End quote. Hickok was playing five-card stud on that fatal day. It has long been said that an all-black full house was known as the dead man's hand. But the truth around it, just before the murder took place, Bill had two pair face-up on the table, two black aces, two black eights. The hold card was never really known. And one last story. Hang on one minute after this break, and I'll tell you what I know about the supposed love affair with Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane. Hello listeners, we are Katie, Amber, Kylie, and Matt, and we are the hosts of Save Me an Isle Seat, a show that talks about musicals in an understandable and relatable way. If you like musicals or theater in general, or if you're interested in them but don't know where to start, we'd love to help introduce you. Come find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or on our website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. And we'll be sure to save you an aisle seat. Quote, There was never a glibber fibber or a cuter shooter than Calamity Jane. She could outstalk, outdraw, outride any man in Deadwood City, except Wild Bill Hickok. End quote. This was the Calamity Jane I was raised on, based on the 1953 musical starring Doris Day and Howard Keel. Sad to say, none of it was true. I mean, I don't know for sure if she sang about the Black Hills of Dakota. I can see how beautiful a place could inspire song, but her relationship with Wild Bill Hickok was presumed to be a complete work of fiction as well. As far as I could tell, the two met when Bill was escorting a wagon train out west in 1876, and Calamity Jane, who was born Martha Jane Cannery, had just been released from jail for being drunk and disorderly. But in her own words, she was at a retreat, resting. Even though both are accused of stretching the truth in tall tales, her infatuation with the legendary lawman was unrequited. It's true that both their legends were built on far-fetched tales, which makes research for the facts a little bit tricky. During the time they were both living in Deadwood, no one really remembers seeing the two together or bothered to write it down, and yet their stories are forever linked. Jane was often found at the saloons, and it is recorded that Bill mentioned of her that, quote, she hid it more than anyone else, referring to her drinking. And a quick quote about her to a reporter, he mentioned, quote, she had a wonderful command of profanity, end quote. And that's it. From what I could find, most of the affair happened after Bill Hickok died. After his death, a smallpox epidemic swept across the area, and for all the negative comments that swirl around Calamity Jane, this was a moment in time where her character shone. She would stay behind to nurse those who were plagued by the deadly disease. Plenty of people wrote about that. In her autobiography, she would claim to have married Wild Bill Hickok, and they were the love of each other's lives. 
After her death in 1903, Calamity Jane either requested to be buried next to Wild Bill, or the locals chose to have her buried there to continue the story. But either way, her resting place is beside Wild Bill Hickok at Mount Moriah Cemetery. In 1941, a woman came forward at a welfare assistance office presenting paperwork claiming that she was the offspring of Bill Hickok and Jane Cannery. Born in September 1873 in Montana, she gave proof of a signed Bible that the two were married two days after the child was born. Jean Hickok Bernhardt McCormick would go on to publish a book with letters she claims to have been sent to her from Calamity, and they include the story that Bill Hickok was her father, and he came to see her only once after they were married. Jane would later tell that she went ahead and divorced Bill so he could marry Agnes. There has been no paper trail to prove that this was true. Jane never recanted her story, even later, it was proven by historians to be untrue. Fact or fiction, the stories of Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane have forevermore been tangled up in each other's lives. Thank you so much for joining me this week for our episode on the legendary Wild Bill Hickok. I love your comments on the episodes and am always open to hearing your suggestions for future episodes. If you'd like to leave a review for the Bag of Bones podcast wherever you listen, I'd be most grateful for that as well. It's a great way to let others know about it, and who doesn't need a little more dark history in their life? I'm Elizabeth Boudre, your dark history dealer. Until next week, then. Bag of Bones is created and hosted by Elizabeth Bougeret, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed. To learn more about the show, visit elizabethbougeret.com. For more podcasts from the Ragtag Network, visit their website at www.ragtagnetwork.com. Copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises.